What's up, everybody? Welcome to Good Wolf Radio. It's Jerry Scarlato. Today, I have a super special guest who has an awesome story, one that was so awesome that apparently, Jonna told me that you and, I, you, you and her talked about my reaction to your story. I was, she, she, so she works at the coffee shop up the street before I introduce her. I'm sorry. I guess I should do that first. This is Jessica Overgaard. Mm-hmm. Jessica Overgaard. McCool. McCool. So yep. you get, we'll go That's ahead okay. and go with the full thing. I was trying, I was like, what do you want me to introduce you? So anyway, she made it easy on me and just said Overgaard, but I think it's important to include everybody. Thank you. So we were at the coffee shop, which is where she works up the street. And she just starts telling me her story because she wants to start a podcast, which yes. I think is super fantastic. And apparently, she turned around and my mouth was just like, what? You what? <laughs> I was making my drinks or making the drinks behind yeah. the bar. And I was just telling like my testimony, like, yeah. this is why I want to start a podcast. And yeah. I look over and you're like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, like, I almost went in shock for your story. Yes. <laughs> like, had to pull out the defibrillator for me. That's what it felt like. Really? To be totally honest. Um, so before we get to that, what do you do now? What do I do now? Yeah. What do you do now? Uh, I know you work at the coffee I shop. I work at the coffee shop. I don't really know what well, else. We or... just moved here. Yeah. I say just, but two years ago yeah. from Washington State. Mm-hmm. So now we live here in Kentucky. And um, I'm a mom. So I have five kiddos at home. Good on you. Five. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I that's have why you six, got that G-Wagon out there. Heck yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> it My Kia MPV. Yeah. Um, <laughs> multi-purpose vehicle. Yeah. It's not a minivan. Yeah. Um, and right now I'm a, I'm a mom taxi. But <laughs> I do tell my testimony a lot. I have a, um, a ministry page on Facebook <clears throat> that's just for my testimony. What's that? Uh, redeemed, <clears throat> excuse me, redeemed Jessica is mm-hmm. my name redeemed on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Jessica. Okay. Yeah. And, um, I tell my testimony. I took basically a year off this last year cause I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I had brain surgery July 1st, 2022. Um, kind of had a, I, I wanted to keep going. And so I pushed myself And I just, this whole past year was like the hardest year of my life. So I put it on pause. This past year was the hardest year of my life. Yes, it was. And isn't that crazy? Yes. Listeners, you will understand why that's crazy here in a second. So I don't mean to make light of it, but it is crazy. No, yeah. Yes. So. um, Let's talk about the moving here. How'd you end up in Kentucky? How'd you end up in Alexandria, Kentucky? More importantly. Honestly, God got us here. So I, let's see, we lived in Washington state. We had 12 acres, five kids, um, lots of chickens and which I (laughs) loved my chickens. Yeah. And I was in school. Um, my husband was diagnosed with cancer in 2017. You don't even know half of my story. (laughs) Like your eyes were so big at the coffee shop. You don't know half of it. Well, I, I am prepared so, for more eye oodling okay. or whatever you want to call it. Eye oodling. Jonna, be prepared to hold me up, right? <laughs> so uh, my husband was diagnosed with cancer in 2017. It was service connected to his time in Iraq. And he had a massive, it was in his throat. So, and it was service connected due to the burn pits in Iraq. So when you say service connected, you mean it was because of his service yes, in Iraq? in the army. Got it. Yes, okay. sorry. Um, 
And we lived in a very small area in Washington state. So we had to drive to Seattle for his appointments. He had a massive bilateral neck dissection. So literally ear to ear, like he was cut open. Um, they told us that he might not ever speak again. That was really, really rough time in our lives because I never knew if I was going to hear my husband say, I love you ever again. Um, or anything. And so after the whole, the bilateral neck dissection, he had 37 rounds of radiation because they did not get it all out. And then 37 rounds of radiation, which is a lot to anybody that knows about radiation to his throat. So he had like third degree burns in his, on his neck and through his throat. Um, he had a feeding tube for eight months. And after that dust settled, we were kind of like, we want to move. Like, we want a lifestyle change for our kids. So we up and moved two and a half hours north of where we were in Washington State to Spokane area, which is the northeastern side of the state. Well, then COVID happened. So everything shut down. We were on 12 acres in the middle of basically nowhere amongst all of the, um, the orchards where everybody would go for like fall season. I loved the area. It's called Green Bluff. It's beautiful, but we were all alone. Um, And my husband was a corrections officer. So he worked at the prison in Washington State, three different prisons, started at the penitentiary in Walla Walla, and then ended up in Airway Heights, which is in Spokane. And his radiation oncologist called him and was like, you can't be working amongst like enclosed areas with inmates during COVID because we didn't with his compromised airway because we didn't know like what was going to do, especially to him. So he went through all of his sick time, all of his paid vacation, um, time without leave. And then finally it was obviously still going on. So quit in July of 2020. I went back to school and, um, but we just, the well on our property wasn't keeping up. So we, we were like, well, nothing's keeping us in Washington state. Where should we go? And my husband being a veteran, everything had, he had like this spreadsheet, everything had to be like, where should we move based on, you know, the, the VA and all of that. Oh yeah. Basically it came down to five states and we ended up here. So we can drive up to Cincinnati for his appointments instead of having to drive to Seattle, which is five and a half hours away from us. And so now we just where you go were. where we were in, in Washington, Washington State. Mm-hmm. And so now we can just drive across the river, go to Cincinnati. Um, I did get accepted to NKU, which was another reason of moving here um, for respiratory care, but then brain tumor. So have not pursued that. After, and then again, this, that past year was the hardest year of my life. And so I'm trying to ease back into life, basically, after that. And so I love the little coffee shop, Brass Key. And yeah. I, so I just talked to the owner, and I was like, I really want to work here. <laughs> and so no. she was like, okay. And then... and then She's probably more surprised that you wanted to work there. Yeah. Because she's like, why? Really? <laughs> right here. Yeah, <laughs> we pay minimum wage. Her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's Are not... Are you sure? You're going to have to pay me sometime. So you right. Know, do you know that? <laughs> Seriously. Like... Um, yeah, it's, it's quite, it's, but I, I love it. It's a beautiful place. I love it. I worked for Starbucks for four and a half years. And then before that, I mean, in Washington and before that, before I was even married, I worked at Seattle's best coffee in downtown Portland. So coffee is in my veins. So I love it. Yeah. Very cool. 
Yeah. So um, we moved here. Basically, people say, so you just took a dart and like threw it on a map? Kind of. Yeah. So. That is crazy. We don't have any family or anything here. So like, that's another reason why this last year was the hardest year of my life because it was so lonely through the, the through brain tumor. I didn't want to let anybody in because it was so hard and not knowing anybody. Like, hey, I just barely know you. Do you want to be my support system? So right. I isolated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I can tell you being a person who also isolates, that's not right. Not conducive right. to good mental health. Correct. Not yeah. conducive. It was very hard. So, so now that we know the last five years. Yeah. <laughs> since 2017. Yeah. 2007, six years. Yeah. Um, 2017, husband had the Cancer. lateral. Yeah, bilateral the, neck dissection. Bilateral neck dissection. Mm-hmm. 37 rounds of chemo. Radiation. Radiation, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Which is worse than chemo. Yeah. Yes, harder than chemo, I guess maybe is a better way to say it. Um, you were diagnosed with the brain tumor last year, mm-hmm. just last year. Mm-hmm. And that you were able to get removed. Yes. And then, then, and then you had to go through chemo treatment. I did not no. because they did get it all and it was benign. It wasn't malignant. So it was not cancer. It was just a tumor, but it was growing. It was trying to invade my brain. So it was called a meningioma. Okay. So it was in your meninges. Got it. I, that is a term that I learned last year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Didn't want to learn, but had to learn. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, so. Meningioma. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't growing. It, wasn't it was going, growing, which going is why they needed places. It, it was growing, yeah. even though it was benign. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right? Which is why they needed to get it out. And how they found that is I started losing peripheral vision in my right side of my eye. Again, just moved here. So I'm in the car. It happened a couple times at my house, and I just thought it was ocular migraine. Yeah. Like, not a big deal. Slept it off. Um, I was in the car with a friend, new friend. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I couldn't see my hand moving as I'm looking straight. And I'm, like, panicking. She had no idea. So I'm trying to grab the the vent thing to point it at my face because I'm having a panic attack in her car. And I can't get my hand to touch vent which is embarrassing to me because I'm like tapping on the, <laughs> the st- or the dash. Yeah. So I had her, I asked her politely, please take me home. But I never had pain following the loss of vision. Interesting. S- right. Mm-hmm. And again, I am a mom of many children. So I put off going to the doctor because I didn't want them to be like, oh, here's a medicine. Take yeah. it. Because um, I don't, you'll know about my past, yeah. I don't like taking Things. anything, yep. anything, yep. Um, any medical or drugs. So um, finally went to the doctor. She said, oh, this earns you a trip to, the M- to an MRI. And I was like, thank you. The sweet pregnant lady, uh, tech lady in my MRI saw it, couldn't tell me, wow. saw the tumor. Mm-hmm. So it was a Friday and she said, um, you know, we'll... we'll send these over to your doctor, your doctor will get them seen, and then you'll probably get a call on Tuesday or Wednesday. Oh no, I got a call in the parking lot. <laughs> like your you doctor, walked out. Yes, mm. yes. Your doctor wants to see you, please come back. And I was like, oh, that's not good. So I went back and they were like, okay, we found a tumor. And I was like, okay, what's next? 
And my doctor told me that I was one of the strongest patients that she's ever seen. Because again, hardest year of my life, I did have a breakdown in like this last November. And, um, no, it was, it was before. anyways, she was like, this is how I expected you to be when I told you had a, you had a brain tumor, but you didn't, you looked at me straight in the eye and you said, okay, what's next? So you are strong. I was like, well, I didn't, didn't ever want to be strong, but what makes you strong? You have to live through. Mm. No so, doubt. And by that point you had already lived through I a lot. Been through a lot. Yes. I actually had a, another medical professional tell me that he, it was he was surprised that I was not rocking in a corner, like in a mental hospital. Like, you know, we were talking yesterday. <laughs> was that yesterday? Maybe it was the day before. Um, McKinley, who I don't think you have met yet. One of our, other I might coaches. have met, but Good all of have. these people that come into the coffee yeah, shop are yeah. faces now. Yeah. Not, Hi. not yet names. Yep. Eventually. Yeah. Um, but you'll meet McKinley eventually. We were talking yesterday, and I was telling her that you were coming in, and I was telling her about your story, and that's when Jonna told me about the you two talking and mm -hmm. my face and everything. And I was like, I was like, yeah. When she told me, I was like, the fact that you're a human that can even put a smile on your face is absolutely phenomenal to me. Like, mm -hmm. I have no clue. I have no clue. I was like, like if she were in a ditch and she had told me that story, then I would. It would right. make sense. Right. Like, I'd go, okay, that makes sense. Not make sense, but like I, get it. I, yeah. I connect the dots a little bit there. Mm -hmm. So, um, before we get to where we rewind more and get to the rest of the story, we're kind of doing a backwards. Yeah, we story. are. We're, we're, we're moving a little different direction here. Um, I, in my mind, since I know the rest of the story, I think that that's where this answer is going to come from, but like where, so you had a mental breakdown, you had this mm -hmm. brain diet, this brain tumor diagnosis, mm -hmm. um, where did that fortitude come from in that moment? Jesus. Only. I, I have no idea how anybody could get through what I have been through in life. And granted, my earlier years were without Jesus because I chose to walk away from that because I was of the mental state of like, well, we'll get to that later. Um, but honestly, there's a lot of people that grow up in the church and then do the deconstruction and then fall away. They move backwards. They move backwards. Mm. Well, and depending on how you well, because, they move away. But the thing is, is that has solely, that's only because man has, and I'm by man, I don't mean a male. I human. mean human beings. That's because human beings have represented Jesus wrong. That's the only reason why. Because I deconstructed. I, I grew up in the church. My dad was a drummer. Like we were always at church. I went to a small private Christian school most of my life. Um, so part of, you know, my path, you know, like I, I went a different route and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But so I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to read the Bible for myself and not let man tell me how to interpret What's it, that think about it, what it means. Mm -hmm. And I was reading and I was like, oh my goodness, that is what? And I read for myself for the first time. I totally deconstructed. And at the very bottom of it, was Jesus. And I was like, that's, 
that is crazy. Like my youth pastor represented Jesus wrong. He told me I was the bad apple of the group. I was kicked out of my, my small private Christian school because I was a bad apple. I had this man telling me that I am not good. And I went to a small private Christian school. I was not bad mm-hmm. by any means. Right. Like, I have teenagers. They're not bad. Yeah, but, but relatively I see, speaking. Right. Mm-hmm. But I was the bad apple of the group. So that's what I, I took and I accepted. Like, I'm the bad apple. And then I read the Bible for myself, and I'm like, I'm no, Jesus calls me worthy, and I, I'm worthy enough that he died for me, not anybody else. And that just gave me the confidence to be able to speak. Like, again, Jesus, they say Jesus saves, but people take that as a negative thing. Like, oh, well, sinners, like, how dare you call me a sinner because that's judgmental. But Jesus saves from so much more. He didn't just die so that we could go to heaven and be with him. He died so that we could um, live free. I'm now free of shame, depression, anxiety, all of that. So because I was freed of shame, depression, anxiety, I could tackle this brain tumor on my own, not on my own, but with Jesus. Um, Honestly, my husband left me. In January, which was why this whole year has been the hardest year of my life, my breakdown was in March, which I just put that together. Mm. Um, My husband left me, but I never have felt closer to God in all of my life, like because I still kept in that relationship with Jesus. And even if my even if my husband left me, it's not God's fault. We're in a fallen world. Everybody sins, but that doesn't mean that we have to maintain that that um, that mentality. Mm. Like God is there for us, so that's what got me through it. I learned a lot, lot <laughs> while I was in the hospital too, because mm-hmm. I was on I was on the neuro floor. Yeah. So I had dementia patients next to Around me. You. I had I had lots of. Yeah. There was one screaming person, screaming obscenities. And it was like I could, I felt like the darkness on that floor. It was the last night I was there, July 6th, 2022. I felt the darkness on that floor. And it was like, I, I, when I realized what I was feeling, I was feeling in the spirit because the spirit is more the spirit realm is just as real as the physical realm and so what i felt in the spirit i was like oh that guy's not screaming because that guy's being tormented Hmm. he's literally being tormented by evil spirits and so but i wanted my sleep (laughs) let's be honest i had brain surgery i was tired i was so i sat on the edge of my bed And I did what I have learned how to do, which was quote the word of God through the Bible and speak it out loud. Say, um, you know, I, I, first of all, you've got to put on your armor of of God, which is in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. So you put on your armor, nothing formed against me, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. 
which is Isaiah 54, is that like 17. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me kind of thing? Um, no, the, the armor of God is your helmet of salvation, your breastplate of righteousness, your belt of truth, your shoes of peace, your gar- or your shield of faith, and your sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So that protects you from in the spirit realm of of attacks from the enemy. And I and I said, I silence you, spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be quiet. And that guy did not make a single noise after that. And I was like, so I feel like even though the brain tumor was horrific, if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't have the tools in my belt now to be able to help other women get through what I went through when I was 18, which we'll get through or we'll get to. Um, so yeah, I, so that was a really long answer to your question. <laughs> hey, what better way to understand than to tell and to hear story. somebody? Yeah. yeah. I feel like people don't give, they don't like religion is not religion. Um, I mean they, you can, but religion without love is just religion. It's not Jesus. Like I'm not here. What? Go ahead. I'm not here to try to, I'm not here to do anything. I'm, I'm here to tell my story and to learn about podcasting, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm here, um, because Jesus saved me, not some Bible thumping person saying that you're not good enough because I heard that all my life, but I don't have to prove anything to them. I'm, I'm alone, you know, as long as I answer to God, what he has saved me, like Jesus has saved me from and what God has called me to do, doesn't matter what anybody else says. And that took me a very long time to heal from was the hurt of man, human beings. Yeah. John and I actually had a conversation yesterday about, we were talking about briefly, briefly, uh, the crusades of like thousands. I can't, I couldn't tell you like the, the years you did some yeah. research. Do you remember the years? so anyway we were having a conversation the other day and i'm the kind of person that will push Mm -hmm. will push back to open up hope try to open up different ways of looking at things yeah so when we were talking about a particular topic she i said you know christians have made have have done things that they that they told themselves were necessary to spread the mm-hmm. word of Christianity, mm-hmm. the Crusades being one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, the, a day later, she came back and said, hey, I want you to know that the people who did the Crusades weren't spreading, which say exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. The people who did the Crusades weren't spreading the word of Christianity. They weren't spreading Jesus. The they were way spreading that, religion. Yes. Yeah. And so... Um, I say that to say, I think I believe that a lot, like so much of the world is that way. Mm -hmm. Health and fitness, just to relate what you're saying, like... Because that's your podcast. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Not that we have to relate that, because I think when you you understand how to live life better, you can understand how to do other things better as well. But like in the realm of health and fitness, like so many people look at things like Instagram, and men's magazine and women's magazine and the people mm-hmm. on the covers of those things and say, well, that's the way that I have to look and that's the way that I have to be. And it's portrayed through yes. pictures, man, 
Like mm-hmm. you're saying, it's portrayed incorrectly. Like you don't have to have a six pack with chiseled shoulders. You don't have to do this. Like you, you can still win, quote unquote, win in health and fitness and not look like that. You can still win and not train six days a week and be, you know, and work out two hours at a time and be perfect on your nutrition and be this, that, and the other thing. Like if you have the courage to move forward and actually take action on your health and you start taking small steps and you start building in these healthy habits that are, that will get you to where you're trying to go. Like you're actually starting to encompass the person that is a healthy and fit person. And that's what it's about more is encompassing the person that is necessary to be a healthy, fit person. Whereas what I hear you saying, if I think, if I'm hearing correctly, is encompassing what it means to be a Christian and instead of shaming people to believe that this is, that you need to be a Christian, uh, you're a bad person if you're not doing it a certain way. Maybe. Right. I, I feel like a lot of people are, um, they've had definitely negative experiences with religious people. Um, and that is where people think that religion is. I mean, there's so many denominations. Mm. So if you go to a church one time and they're speaking, you know, doom and gloom and you yourself are like, oh my goodness, that's what Christianity is. I mean, I'm sure that doom and gloom is necessary for certain people to wake up, but let's say in sports nutrition, if you tell everybody they need to eat this certain way, not knowing their certain metabolisms or their hormone levels or their age, there's not, there's one size fits all Jesus, but Jesus meets you where you're at to change your heart. Like, like in fitness, you meet the person where they're at. Let's start with baby steps. Like Jesus doesn't meet you to leave you um, the same. Like, but you don't have to change to meet Jesus. Like you don't have to, okay, well, I need to lose 20 pounds pounds before I can go into Thrivology. No, you will meet them where they're at and be like, come on. But you're, when you meet them, they will move and not be the same as they were. Like, I will speak the Bible, the woman caught in adultery. Okay. Mm. So this is a, I don't remember where it is in the Bible at the very moment, but Men pulled her out in the literal act of sleeping with another man that was not her husband. And they said, teacher, what are you going to do about this? Thinking, oh, we got it. And the Jesus said, those of you without sin, you may cast the first stone. Mm. Okay. They all felt convicted. Well, I do have sin. Everybody left. And so then Jesus is standing there with that woman. This is where he met her and said, your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. So he met her where she was at, but she left a completely changed person. Do you get that? Yes. So, but the, the religious people are the ones that caught her yeah. and they were ready to stone her at that yeah. moment. Jesus didn't stone her. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's great. So now... We can back up a little more. Sure. Uh, let's start now that we've started at the end. Let's go back to the beginning. Okay. Or maybe it's not the very beginning, but closer to the beginning. Sure. So now we have context of your strength 
Mm. Built a lot of strength through the six years of 2017 to present. But you had to build a lot of strength before that. Yes. You had to build a lot of resilience before that. So where does your story begin then? So I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Um, I went to a very small private Christian school. And again, I mean, I went to the, the youth group associated with that. And the, the church that I went to is very legalistic religion. Mm. So if you don't do this, then you won't. I, I literally would pray every night because I was terrified that I was going oh, to hell. Yeah. How? Like, I, I was not. Anyways, I mean, I went through my rebellious years. Yeah, but. Relative. Very. Yeah. So my senior year in high school, I went to an actual public school, which was kind of cool. Um, you know, nothing significant happened. I got good grades. The day that I turned 18, I had already graduated. The day that I turned 18, I got a job at Hewlett Packard. And I was on the assembly line making printers. And I met a man. That, so I had just turned 18, like that day. I met a man nine years older than me, 27. And he was very alluring. Um, talked to me like I've never been talked to before. Because I was, you know, small private Christian school. And he would tell me how, um, how sexy I am. And I'd never, I mean, I wore a uniform yeah, all right. of my life. Yeah, I don't even know what that word means. Right? <laughs> I mean, I did a yeah, little yeah, bit, yeah. but yeah. not me. Mm. And so started hanging out with him. My dad did not like it. But again, we went to a legalistic church. So when a push comes to shove, my dad said, mm -mm, him or us. Ouch. I was 18. I had just turned 18. You don't and say it, that to an 18-year-old. All right. What mm -hmm. did I do? I chose him. Him. I chose him. Mm -hmm. So I moved in with him. And we both worked at Hewlett Packard for a couple months. I think it was, I think it was like November. So I turned 18 July 7th. And then by October or November, he, and granted, okay, preface with this um he was addicted to porn and so he there was porn on the tv all the time i didn't know this until after i moved in with him like his true colors started showing but oh, i yeah. was stuck right i'd chosen him yeah so porn was on all the time and all the time like he had roommates and it was like just in the living room normal and again small private christian school so i'm like oh maybe this is normal for everybody world. else yeah so um about october november we got our own little duplex it was a fourplex uh, with a roommate but still um away from this big house that we were living in in the basement and all of a sudden he was like you know you are so sexy you need to share it with the world he called a strip club in portland oregon and made me an appointment to audition no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. None. Yeah. So I had, uh, I show up, he drives me there. I show up there. You know, do you have any tattoos? No, I don't have any tattoos. I haven't even done drugs. Yeah. Like, I haven't. This is as close to I've been right? to like elite. Well, it's not illegal, but like, right. you're like, I, this is right. as stepped out as I've gone in my life. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, 
had, I, I mean, I watched the girls on the stage and I did what the girls did on the stage. And all of a sudden I'm working at a strip club in Portland, Oregon called Webb's Pub. It's no longer there anymore. And um, so a, about a month later, he's like, well, I want to make sure, like, I want to make sure that you get there safe and come home safe. So he quit his job. I mean, I, I had already quit. He quit his job. So then he would drive me to and from the strip clubs. But we lived in, in Camas, Washington, and we were in Portland. And so he would just stay at the next strip club over and spend the money that I made. So basically, I was sex trafficked. But in 97, 98, that was before sex trafficking even had a name. Trafficking didn't even have a name. Yeah. So I just took it as shameful. Didn't I, I, you know, pushed out everybody because this man was so, he was abusive in sexually, physically, emotionally. And I was stuck because I chose him. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell my parents what I was going through. He would, um, he would punch me, he would shove me, choke me. Um, anyways, so then, then I became pregnant. And at that point, he hadn't, I mean, he was trafficking me, but he hadn't sold me yet. Mm. But, so I get pregnant by him. I mean, there's the point to that is because I hadn't slept with anybody else. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so I'm sick, pregnant morning sickness and um a man approached him and said i will give you ten thousand dollars if i could sleep with her and mm -hmm, ten thousand dollars in 1997 was a lot of money especially to an 18 year old girl yeah so i'm thinking i can get away from him i'm going to accept this i'm going to do what i have to do i'm gonna sleep with this guy so i can get away from him I'm going to move to California with my grandparents. This was, I'm going to tell him he wanted me to have an abortion. I'm going to tell him I had the abortion. I'm just going to go. I would never, I, it was not even a thing in my mind to have an abortion. I was sick, but no. And so, um, I went to this man's house. He was married with children. They were gone for the weekend. I brought my for all intents and my stripper bag mm-hmm. with all my stuff. Well, we went into the bedroom while he was in the living room. Mm. Totally awkward because he's supposed to be my boyfriend. Boyfriend, yeah. But I'm supposed to be sleeping with this other man. Yeah. Lots of things happened in that bedroom, but sex did not happen. Mm. So this man who was so high, he couldn't even... Function. Function. Yes. It's the right word. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it became my fault. I didn't turn him on enough. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. So my boyfriend at the time beat me on the way home. But he was calling me um, names because I did it. So I was a slut. I was a whore. But then I didn't make him perform. So now we're not going to get paid. So he threatened the man and he ended up paying $3,000. Two checks, $1,500 each. He forged my name. I never saw a penny of it. Mm. Nothing. Mm. 
So I dealt with shame from growing up being called a bad apple to now I'm doing things that I never thought that I would do. I wasn't having, I wasn't doing drugs at that time. Um, they were, but I was not allowed to because I was the trophy girlfriend. Yeah. So if I did, that would look bad. So I, I wasn't allowed to leave the house without my hair done, my makeup done, my, if I wore sandals, my, my toes had to be done, my, my fingernails. Like he, we would go to the mall and he would spend so much money, but it was my money. Yeah. It was the money that I was making. So he bought me a leather coat, Movado watch, you know, all this stuff. He put, he opened accounts at all of these places, but it was in my name. And then, so let's see, I was, di or my baby was diagnosed, said that she was going to have Down syndrome. And, um, I said, you know, still he, he made me an appointment for an abortion. I said, I'm not going to have an abortion. Uh, <laughs> here's this like Christian girl. God doesn't give me anything that I can't handle as I'm like in strip clubs, in strip but, but still like, that's where my heart was at that time. And so, um, he beat me, told me, or made me sleep on the couch. I remember he and a friend would, um, they'd smoke out of this big bong and then they would they spilled the bong water all over the floor and made me clean it up yeah. and I'm pregnant and like gagging. It was really, really bad. Um, found out that it was a girl. He beat me because it was my fault. That it was a girl. That it was a girl cause he wanted a boy. So, um, I finally two weeks before she was born. Okay. So I was, I was dancing up until, uh, I was like six and a half months pregnant. You, you, I could suck it up. You could tell if you knew me, but like guys that would come into the strip clubs wouldn't know. And, um, it, it was awful. And then, um, he finally got a job and I had to quit. I had to like my manager, I guess. I, I don't know what you'd call him. He was like, yeah, you can't be working anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You're showing. Yeah. So I had to stop. So two weeks before our daughter was born, he choked me. He threw me up on the bed and was choking me and told our roommate to call 911 before he killed me. And I had this out-of-body experience. Never had that before. It, Anyways, it was like I was up on top of the room looking down, watching him choke me. I don't know if I blacked out or what, but... And I was like, I cannot bring a baby into this not that I wanted to not have her, but just this situation. But every time I would try to call 911 or my dad, he would literally break the phone in my hand, pull it out of the wall. Like I, I was stuck. I was literally trapped, domestic violence, sex trafficking, all of that. And like, there's a lot in my story with, um, like while I was, I, I wasn't allowed to leave the strip club unless I made a certain amount of money. And then if I made that certain amount of money, if it was in the, the, like the hour of where it closed, I had to stay because then I would get my stage fee back. Um, I was taken to different hotels to dance for different parties. Um, I was taken across the street by the manager of the strip club, expected to dance for him. It was, I, I almost, I, um, was going to go to Vegas and, um, you know, lots more opportunity in Vegas. And I didn't go, but my friend that did go, 
I never saw her again. Mm. So I like that kills me mm. as now that was when I was 18. I'm now 44. I, I wonder what her life looked like or looks like now if she's alive, honestly. Mm. Um, lots of things that stemmed, you know, through all of that in Portland. There was a lot of strip clubs. I started at one, but Portland, Oregon in 1997 had more strip clubs per capita than anywhere in the United States. That's crazy. Yeah. Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, the I-5 corridor connects Canada all the way down to Mexico. Mm. So much sex trafficking uh, all through there. Mm. Um, but Portland, Oregon was like the hub for strip clubs. There's, it's still known as that. Yeah. But I don't know the. I don't know if it still has more per capita than anywhere yeah. in the United States. But it did at that point. Not that I have any context at all for that, but that is still crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. So two weeks before she was born, um, he's choking me. I have this out-of-body experience, and I don't know how I left him. I, I don't remember. I don't remember if I called 911 or my dad. I don't have that. I mean, I probably blacked out. I don't know. I don't know. It bothers me now, but... That, that you can't remember? Yeah. Yeah. So I moved back in with my parents and went back to being this cute little Christian girl so with my baby. Was, was that, you left him like that night, that day? I don't day. remember that part. Yeah. Hmm. I remember. That's crazy that you don't remember that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm just. Trauma I'm just, does that. Well, I know that. And that would be my guess is that like, <clears throat> that's exactly what happened. Like trauma just blacked that part right. out. That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. You're okay. Go ahead. So um, I called him when I was in labor with her. He showed up drunk at the, at the hospital, um, mad that he couldn't watch his Dallas Cowboys. Was it Dallas Cowboys? I don't remember now. I think it was Dallas Cowboys. Raiders. He was a Raiders fan. Um, <laughs> um, mad that he couldn't watch the Raiders because the hospital room didn't get the whatever um, drank my juice. I was going into shock like a, a woman does after they have a baby. Like your body kind of goes into shock. You start, you're cold, you're shaking. And my dad was so mad because my dad wanted to like help me, comfort me. It was just weird. Was pissed off at him. Um, so yeah. And then I, I lived with my parents, <laughs> turned 21, went out to the bars and then my life went it was like, once I got out to the bars, I was recognized. Like, mm. oh, you're, you know, you're my dance name, which I hate mm. now because that's dead, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I was like, I don't, I don't want to be known as that. So I started doing drugs to numb it. I didn't turn to God at mm. that time. I went to drugs. Mm-hmm. I, um, at that time in the in the bar scene, ecstasy, I don't know what it is anymore, but ecstasy was very popular Mm. and it was cheaper than getting drunk. So that's what I did a lot. Mm -hmm. And cocaine a lot. Um, Tried meth a couple times. I I don't know how I'm alive because I was very dumb. Yeah, I'm curious, well, was. Right. We can comfortably say that. Yes. Meth, I'm surprised, like, just from what I know, mm-hmm. like, that's usually the one 
Not that usually, I guess they all are, but like gets people to yeah, be yeah, like really gets them to dive down into that can't stop mm-hmm. downward spiral. Yeah. Um. So I was twenty four. Mm. It was Fat Tuesday. Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, downtown Portland. Yeah. Um, and I met a man who I knew in high school. I saw him and I was like, oh, I know you. And he was like, yeah, because you're Jessica McCool. And I was like, yeah, you're Nate, you're Nate Overlook or something. And he's like, Overguard. <laughs> but um, gave him my number. I didn't have my phone at that time. And then he waited three days to call me. And then we started talking and he has never done drugs. Um, good military guy. I mean, he drank alcohol, but who didn't? Um, I mean, it's legal. You're, we're old enough. He would go to the bars, but good military guy. Never done drugs. And so I attached myself to him so quickly. I remember um, we started dating. He said, I'm not a Christian. I never will be. And I was like, that's fine. Like, whatever. He, I remember him telling me this. And... I remember at, I don't remember whose apartment it was, but I gave him my little baggie of cocaine and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, <laughs> what do I do with this? Right. Yeah. Like, like I'm yeah. going to go to jail if I have like this yeah. good man. Yeah. But that was my way of choosing some, a different life. Right. So I chose him. We got married. Time out. Yeah. How do you start to make that decision? Like mm. what, where was the awareness mm-hmm. in you? Like, did you just see him and you went, like, like, did you know him in high school and, like, you kind of always liked him and then you saw him and you were like, oh, I think you're a good person anyway and you're also a good person, so I'm going to attach? Or was there, like, a moment leading up to that where, like, I think, like, I need to get my ass out of this? Yeah, Excuse it was, I need to get my ass um, out of this lifestyle. Oh, I can say ass, good. You can say ass. I guess technically this is my podcast, but I felt that's it. <laughs> you Sorry. can say anything anyway. you want. <laughs> Um, I, I had a daughter Mm. and I was not a good mother. Mm. And so her dad was still, um, very much emotionally abusive, physically abusive, mentally abusive. He went, oh yeah, he was still, he was still sexually abusive at that point because I was still still around. He was, yes. Um, one part that I am just starting to talk about that is still not, it's still a touchy subject for me, but I'm just going to be honest, is um, he wouldn't pay child support unless I slept with him. That's the, that's the hold that domestic violence, emotionally violent, you know, sexually violent people have. And I was a single parent so what you felt like, what can I, I had, do? I had mm-hmm. no choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, and gosh, I'd already slept with men for money. Like it, it was, it was, it happened so, I mean, I just, if you go back and look at it, I had just met him, this older man, alluring man. And then all of a sudden, like, <laughs> oh. yeah, in a short period of time, yeah. a very short period of time. Yeah. Like in a five-year time frame, you mm-hmm. had gone through all of that, the strip club, the trafficking, yeah. getting pregnant, having yeah. the baby, being choked, yes. like, all, like all of that. Oh, yeah. In a very short period of time. Yeah. And then I turned to drugs. 
and then um, met Nate. We got married, and then I was in beauty school at that time because I wanted a different lifestyle. Mm. Went to he so we got married June twenty sixth of '04, and then about my birthday, which is July seventh, he got called to Iraq. They we did not know it was going to happen. Um, he got called to Iraq, and it was like it was again like I wanted this other life. And now he's going to Iraq. I mean, he was a good military guy, which is obviously part of the alluring part that I liked. But now all of a sudden he's gone. And so he went to Iraq. Um, I did have an affair. He knows about that. Um, he came home, didn't know about that. That would be a very that. awkward way for him to find out. <laughs> Not yeah. that I assume he's listening to this. but No, I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he came home. But he came home a completely different person. Mm, he had yeah. PTSD. He turned to alcohol um, to numb his nightmares and all that. Yes, um, blackouts, like drinking. It was it was crazy. And then we kind of lived as roommates, honestly, for twelve and a half years. Obviously, roommates with benefits because we have five children together. But um, yeah, we were just roommates. We did not like each other. And then all of a sudden, one day, very, and, and at that time was start of my, um, my, my reading the Bible for myself, but it was more of a lens of like mad, right? And so, and he was never a Christian. Oh, looking at it through the viewpoint of religion. Previous. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have a friend actually who showed me. She lives in the Netherlands. She's really sweet. But she showed me, like, take, take sticky notes and put them all over your house of different scriptures. And when those lies of man come, you have the word of God, like the actual word of God that you can squash that with. And so um, I did. I started putting sticky notes around my house of different scriptures. And then one night, it was like November 5th, 2016, it was like the Lord just like swooshed into my house, <laughs> swooshed, and my husband, like we had a dead marriage, dead, dead, like it was dead, and um, all of a sudden my husband starts speaking over me, like you are pure, um, like and I don't even know how he got those words because he didn't grow up in church. And so backtrack a little bit. We were, we were roommates basically for a long time and we have five children together and his love language is physical touch, which is not, it's not sexual physical touch. He just likes touch, right? Like touch every time he would touch me. It was like, oh, I have to go into performance mode because of that past. That's the only thing that I knew of sex was performance. Performance, yeah. And so I'm like, okay. And obviously, like, I mean, it wasn't bad. He never, he didn't do those things that my boyfriend at that time did. But it was like... connection was still there. Yes, in my brain, in in those wirings, right? I can imagine that it's hard to break... Like, 
So we attach to things when they are emotionally driven, right? Yes. Whether it's high emotions or low emotions yeah. or anything, anywhere in between. When, you, when we have an emotionally driven experience, we remember those experiences more vividly and we attach. Especially when they're traumatic. To them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Most definitely. So let's. So I imagine that was like. Yeah. So let's go back a couple years, actually. Being the. Because I started that whole um, process of reading the Bible for myself, I have an uncle who lives in Portland, Oregon. And he is a pastor, and he also runs, or he ran a traffic, because Portland, Oregon, hub for trafficking, you know, all that. That's so crazy still. Right. Go so um, I reached out to him, and I was like, Uncle Steve, I really want to get together with you. Can, can I meet you? And he's like, yes. He, he was my Uncle Steve, met me. Like when I came home from the hospital, he, he and my dad were roommates in college. Not actually your uncle. Correct. Got it. But he, you wouldn't know that from him. He, I'm his niece. The way he treated you. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm like, Uncle Steve, and he always made time for us. Um, but I remember growing up, he's where I learned spiritual warfare from. I would listen to his stories. And that's why I wasn't scared of the spirit realm. Because you kind of had that. Because I knew... If he's not scared of it and he can combat it with God, then so can I. I didn't have any preface of that. I hadn't read the Bible for myself at that point yet, but I knew I wasn't scared. Anyway, so I felt like, so in 2007, my husband got the job at the penitentiary in Washington, um, in Walla Walla, Washington, three and a half hours east of Portland. We moved away from Portland and I left Portland in Portland. I did not want to be associated with anything of my past. I didn't want to be Jessica McCool anymore. I just wanted to be Nate's wife, you know, my kid's mom, left Portland in Portland. Um, there was one time shortly after we were married that we went to one of his friend's houses. I think I told you this um, the other day mm -hmm. at the coffee shop um, where we were playing a game where you had to guess the name or whatever. And it was, so it was like him and his wife against me and my husband. And she, this, this wife, this other lady was trying to say mm -hmm. these things. I don't remember the name of the game, but we were, I was like, da, da, da. and she goes, what you used to do. And I was like, coffee shop. Like, blah. And she goes, no, a stripper. And I was like, I don't want to be known as that. I didn't want to do that. I didn't have a choice. I didn't, Wake up one day. I didn't even, I wouldn't have even eased into that. And that wasn't ever. Wasn't a career path. Yeah. Like in your mind. Yeah. No. Yeah. So um, I didn't like that. So I did not want to be known as Jessica. So I created this life for myself that was, I mean, it was me, but nobody knew my past. And so, but it was eating away at me, the shame of that. Because, trying to bury it, trying yeah, to keep it secret, trying yes, to keep it under. Yes, like somebody's going to recognize me, somebody's going to know me. Her dad stopped coming to see her but would blame it on me. It, that whole, whole thing was crap. But um, so I called my Uncle Steve, can I meet with you? And he was like, yes. So we met at this little coffee shop. Well, no, huh? I, I have a cute little coffee shop. We met at a big coffee shop, Starbucks, <laughs> on McGilvery and uh, Mill Plain in Vancouver, Washington, and we were sitting there, 
and I just word vomited everything to him <laughs> as if as if I was a you know a Christian confessing to a pastor mm-hmm. like this is what I did and he with all of the love that a man could have looked at me in the eyes and said Jessica he was never your boyfriend he was your pimp Oh, because sex trafficking wasn't a thing thing. then. I hadn't even put those two together that that was me. So at that point, he broke through that religion barrier instead of me confessing to him with the love of what Jesus would have shown me and said that, that that wasn't your fault. And that was huge. So then I go home. That was the beginning of the the um, healing, the deliverance of shame. But how do you go home and be like, oh, yeah, this is what I did. I had little kids, little, little kids. I didn't want to tell my testimony because Christians can be mean. Let's just be honest. Like I've been told, oh, well, he was good enough to sleep with mm. by the judge that I was trying to get, you know, he took me to court for custody of her. Mm. And I was like, no, this is what he did. He's choked me. He's done all these things. Well, he was good enough to sleep with. The judge. The judge Mm. told me that. So one night in 2016, my kids are all in bed and I had a, a moment with my husband and he just starts, like we were praying it, Yeah, and um, he starts saying, you are pure. And I was just like rejecting it, like crying, like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not pure, like, no, I'm not. And um, he prayed, which is crazy because, again, like he didn't have that past. We we had started, I mean, we were going to church, but it was just like the blinders were so far on, on both of us. So he starts speaking purity over me and starts praying that I would see myself the way that God sees me and not the way that I see me. And um, it was it was crazy. It was like all of a sudden scales like came off of my eyes. I went into the bathroom and I saw, crazy that that was in my peripheral vision. I just put that together. Mm. Anyways, in my peripheral vision, I saw me in the mirror and I go and I look and I saw myself the way that God made me for the first time since before I was 18 years old. And at that point, I was 30-something, 33, 34. So for, what, almost 20 years, Mm -hmm. I buried that shame. Yeah. Yeah, I buried that shame, and all of a sudden, and just in a moment can't snap with that hand <laughs> in a yep in a moment i didn't want to like clap in front of the mic um god god like took that from me and then that gave me the ability to start telling my testimony like, okay i'm not going to be ashamed of this anymore that happened to me i didn't want it to happen i didn't do it so then all of a sudden we move here no friends no family nothing 
and I started going to a church and they said, you know, Jessica, we've heard your, your testimony. Would you mind telling it? So we recorded it and then they were going to, they were going to play it on Sunday morning, that Sunday morning. Cause they were, they were talking about, um, speaking Jesus over your situation. So I, I did the recording and that night before church, I was like, mm-mm. Put the house on the market. We're leaving. I don't want to show my face. That mm-mm. I was terrified, and I actually, I had, um, I had, a couple years ago, I saw a reel from a guy who was in the porn industry. Actually, he was very, um, he'd done over a thousand porn movies, movies show. I was gonna say shows, shows. But yes, yeah. right. Um, his name is Joshua Broom, and I saw a reel of his, and it was like him speaking to his younger self and how he went to California to pursue this um, life or this uh, career of being in, in movies. Well, it took a turn, and he ended up in porn. He, I, think it, I think it said in 2012 he got um, Male Porn Actor of the Year. But God radically changed his life and showed him that he is real. He was suicidal and all of that. So I'm watching this reel and I'm bawling. And I'm like, if he can tell his testimony, I can tell mine. So I reached out to him, not thinking that he would ever hear me. Right. Well, he did. Yeah. So that night that I'm having this, like, we're putting the house on the market. We're moving out of Kentucky. I'm never wanting to show my face again. I messaged him and he's like, keep going. That's where I was about seven years ago. Keep going. And I'm like, oh. So I go to church that morning and um, my testimony comes up on the, the big screen and I'm just like, oh. Yeah. And my husband's like, you know, the older men, the older women, they're going to shun you. Like they're like sex traffic. And I didn't even say sex. I said trafficking, but anybody who knows, knows anything about it. Yeah. I had this old lady with a, a walker come up to me and she was like, thank you for giving us a voice that we couldn't have when we were your age. And I was like, oh, so I knew how important it is to tell our testimonies because you came in the coffee shop. You had no idea what I've been through. I'm just this smiley, like, how can I make your coffee today? <laughs> right? Like, yes. And I love working there and I love smiling, but you would have never known. Not even a little Which bit. was apparent on your face. Yeah, not even a little as bit. As I was making my coffee and I look over <laughs> and you're like... <laughs> Terrified. So, what? You're what? I'm so scared. No, I'm just kidding. So, um, so yeah, we we have to tell people what we've been through mm. and how we got through it. Well, I don't know how I got through it back then, other than yeah. Jesus, but I didn't acknowledge him until, yeah. you know, later. Yeah. But now that I have, and now that I've read the Bible for myself, it's such a freeing thing instead of a condemning thing. I can imagine. Yeah. So, and that's still really the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Well, so. you know, how do you pack 44 years into well, right. an hour and a half? So, um, yes, absolutely. Just incredible. Thank you. Just absolutely incredible. And like I said, like I still, the fact that you can sit in front of me and smile is, it's incredible. 
But there had to be, so when you were going through that, mm -hmm. like you said, it's hard to tell like what kept you going at, mm -hmm. like now. If you had to think of a, of an answer. What kept me going like when I was 18? Yeah. Like when you were going through the 20, like, like from the age of 24 to when you met to 2000. Well, Maybe. I, I'm re-met Nate in 2024 or 24, Four. 2004. 2004. Oh my word. Why was that so hard? Yeah. When you re-met him. Yeah. So from 1997 yeah. to 2004. Yeah. What kept you going? Probably my daughter. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be better. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a mom. Mm -hmm. Didn't know how, because Part of my other test or my part of my other story, my mom really wasn't. She was more absent. Like, I, I'm not here to mm -hmm. diss on her, mm -hmm. but she wasn't in your life and wasn't. She was. I mean, she and my guiding, dad were married. wasn't mm -hmm. but a she, guiding part in your life. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, so I um, I I didn't know how to be a mom. Um, I had an apartment. I think. The thing that scared me the most that like woke me up in a way was I had a guy over at my apartment and he lost an ecstasy pill in my couch. And I was like, oh no. Mm. I mean, if she finds that. Right. Mm. And it looks like candy, mm. like a smarty or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that's not good. We need to do something different. Mm -hmm. as, we as in me, yeah. <laughs> the royal me, mm -hmm. I need to do something different. Mm -hmm. This is not okay. Um, that was the start of my turnaround, I think, because I wanted to be better for her. Didn't know how. Mm. And I think, I think, honestly, I think God was there all along, even though I didn't um, recognize the fact that he was in the fact that I didn't acknowledge him. I didn't pray. I didn't, I didn't look to him for answers, but he never left me. Like I, I was, I think I was in kindergarten or first grade when I asked Jesus into my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't, I didn't acknowledge him, but he was there. Mm. All along. So now that you're at the other end of it, sorry, because there's still plenty of life left. Right. Um, you started Redeemed Jessica. I did. The Facebook mm -hmm. page. You're in the process, I wanted to say thinking about, but you're in the process of starting a podcast. Yeah. Because thinking about and doing it are two different things. You're going to do a podcast. Right. I'm I am. putting you on the spot right now. Good. You're going to do a podcast. Um, what are you hoping to, what are you hoping other people get out of it? Out of the podcast? Yeah. I want. I want the woman who has shame from her past, who when her husband touches her leg lovingly, not wanting sex, just lovingly touches her leg and she thinks, oh, I want her to know that there is hope. I want her to know that God hasn't left her. I want the young mom who feels like she can't do it on her own, whether she's a single parent or whether she's married, whether she has shame from her past or whatever, I want her to know 
that me at 44 can tell you that it gets better, can tell you that what man did to you did not represent Jesus well at all. That uh, I want, I want to be, I want to be a voice to help other women tell their voice or speak their voice. Um, yes, I want to be an encourager too, because I have read the Bible, and I'm not a pastor. I, part of me wanted to go to like Bible college, um, but honestly, in in the book of Acts, I think it's three and four, Peter and John go to the um, Bethesda, I think it's the, Bethes- the beautiful gate, and there's a man laying there, lame, begging for money. And they say, we don't have money, but what we do have, we will give to you, rise up and walk. And this man gained strength in his legs, and he stood up and walked. Well, the religious people said, you can't do that. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Like, whose authority do you have? They said, Jesus. So they actually went to um, court, basically. And they said, you know, you can't be doing that right now. Like, you can't talk about Jesus. But Peter was bold and said, I can't not talk about Jesus. Like, how can you? He changed my life. But the people in the court looked at them and said, they're ordinary men. They have no, they're not um, the Pharisees who have the specialized training. They're ordinary men, but they have obviously been with Jesus. That's what I want. I'm an ordinary woman, but I want to be known as a woman who spends time with Jesus. That's what I want. Pretty powerful, girl. Pretty powerful. Do you have a name for your podcast yet? I do. Okay. If you're not ready to say it, you don't have to. Well, I've already made the graphic. Oh, good. I just don't know how to what to do after this. <laughs> but it's called Remnant Women. Remnant? Remnant? R-E-M-N-A-N-T. Women with Redeemed Jessica. Oh, cool. So because I want the woman who wants to do better but doesn't know how – we are the remnant. We are, um, the Bible says that God's coming back for the remnant because there's a lot of people who think that they're religious mm-hmm. and they are going to heaven who really won't make it into heaven. It's the remnant, the ones that go to God themselves through Jesus that he's coming back for. So I want the woman who um, has no specialized training, she hasn't gone to Bible college, who doesn't have time because she's a mom. Taking care of five kids. Right. <laughs> to be able to listen to another mom, like um, in the Bible also, it says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Like I want to lead moms to Jesus because we are the remnant. And, and a lot of times there's a lot of men leading and, and that's biblical, but as a woman, I can also lead other women. So that's my heart, is to do that. 
Cool. Very so strong, are. very powerful. Your story just amazes me top to bottom. Your ability to, to persist and persevere amazes me top to bottom. I know your faith drives you to do that. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to see how many people you impact. So another really quick thing. Yeah. In 2017, when my husband was diagnosed with cancer and yeah. had the uh, bilateral neck dissection, he went back to work. So I also, I had a hysterectomy that year. Okay. And the doctor nicked a disc of my spine. And so that inflammation turned into infection. And by October of that year, I couldn't walk. And um, my husband, because of his medical training in combat, saw that I was going into shock. My lips turned purple. I couldn't talk. They carried me into the hospital. And I was in septic shock. Almost died. Yeah. I couldn't walk. I had to relearn how to walk with a walker. That was, talk about swallowing your pride as yeah. a person I was who young. Could walk before. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. Um, so 2017 tried to kill Nate and me. This was right after we got, um, like, our marriage radically saved in 2016. Mm -hmm. Three months later, he was diagnosed with cancer. He gets ready to go back to work. I have a hysterectomy, go into septic shock. 2017 was a very hard year of my life, but it was also awkward, not awkwardly, crazily, the best year of my life because it, it brought us closer together and with God to get me to where I could face a brain tumor face on, which was the hardest year of my life. Mm. He's speechless. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Uh, thank you for your power, girl. Mm. Appreciate you so much. Yeah. I appreciate you for bringing me in here and letting me tell my testimony, my story, and giving me some pointers of the mic. Well, <laughs> we'll see how useful I am at that in a moment. Eh. Any parting words? Um, I think any parting words would be the biggest thing that I said is Jesus doesn't just save you from sin in a shameful way. Jesus saves you from all of the other muck that you have, like the shame, anxiety, depression, anything, fear, so that you can live the way that the Bible says that Christians should live. And Christians is such a broad term, but I, I, I say I'm a Christian, but I'm not religious because I just follow Jesus. So I'm a follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Um, so whatever man, not as in a male, yeah. but a human has said that brings shame on you, they did not represent Jesus correctly. And as a, as a woman who follows Jesus, my parting words would be an apology like for the Christians who don't represent Jesus well. And I hope that people can see that Jesus is different. Well, I think you'll be able to show that. I hope so. And I think you'll impact a lot of people. 
Good. People, go back and re-listen. Go back and re-listen. Maybe a couple times. Until next time, here's to your success in health and fitness mastery.